Well, welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place here at Freightways where we talk about oil and diesel, and you can't get diesel unless you get oil out of the ground and you've got to drill for oil. That's why we call the program Drilling Deep. We also drill deep with a guest of the week. This week, it's Lisa Miller. She is with Transforce. She's going to, hear to be here to talk about AB5 and the two-check solution. going to be a great interview. Looking forward to it. But first, we will talk about diesel prices. We are right back to the races. As I record this, the ultra-low sulfur diesel price on the CME Commodity Exchange has tacked on more than 30 cents a gallon in just the last two trading days. And it's now above where it was just last Wednesday, September 2nd. I am recording this week on a Wednesday, a little earlier than I usually do, and it means that we had a drop of about 27 cents in two days and then a surge of more than 33 cents, and we're at about 3.44 a gallon on the CME. I'm not going to talk about the retail price today because I think we should take pity on the people running the chains of gasoline stations and truck stops who are trying to figure out what to do next. For two days, they saw their wholesale prices plummet. Then for two days, they saw their wholesale prices surge. There are busy stations that will get a delivery almost daily. I remember talking to one fuel manager of a big chain of convenience stores who said most of his stations got a new load about every 13 hours. That sort of frequency means that each of those sales is coming against a wholesale number that is going up and down, up and down, and they have to try to set retail numbers against it. So let's have a little bit of pity for them. So no, we're going to talk about futures prices instead. We will talk about wholesale prices real quickly just to say that wholesale prices generally do track what's going on at futures prices. So futures prices are what matters now. I don't have any doubt that the surge in the past two days of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME was caused by the leaks and likely sabotage of the two Nord Stream gas pipelines in Europe. Now, let's note that one of them, Nord Stream 2, wasn't even in operation, had never been in operation, and no gas had been flowing through number one for several weeks. Still, the leaks and sabotage were reminders of how the tough winter that Europe might be facing without Russian gas supplies is very much upon us. So this happened, even though there are reports that the Europeans have done a pretty good job getting ready for winter in terms of storage. But it actually was colder than usual there this week, and that served as a real wake-up call for the natural gas market that even if the continent has done a solid job laying in inventories, Mother Nature could just laugh at us. I've mentioned before that the Dutch TTT gas price is probably the world's most important number out there right now. It's the benchmark for European pipeline natural gas. It has dropped almost 50 cents, 50 percent, excuse me, since the mid-August highs, but it added 11 percent alone on Wednesday alone. And you can be sure that the cold weather and the Nord Stream sabotage were big, big factors in that move. And then by extension, the futures price of diesel in the U.S. went up. No surprise there. It's all interconnected. Diesel can be a substitute for natural gas in many applications such as power generation and some industrial processes. While natural gas is not so high over here that it is causing that much displacement, a big increase in the TTT price is going to increase the world price of LNG, liquefied natural gas. And when that happens, it becomes attractive to send U.S. gas across the ocean as liquefied natural gas, and now you can see why diesel prices reacted the way they did. That's one of the reasons why diesel didn't just move higher it moved higher than crude once again. On Wednesday, the spread between Brent and diesel on the CME 
was at its highest level in two weeks. Now, I know two weeks isn't a long time. But while it looked like that spread was maybe easing a bit, which might help take some of the pressure off of upward diesel prices, now the spread reversed and headed higher again. Winter is coming. Diesel prices remain tight. Diesel stocks remain tight. The good news, bad news is that right now, the best way to slow down the price of diesel and oil is a recession. So there may be a re- some relief in the price if the world slips into that, if maybe we're not, maybe we're there already. But really, who wants that? Time to move on here on Drilling Deep. And our guest today is Lisa Mitchell from Transforce. Lisa Mitchell is right now coming to us from California, which is probably the heart of the biggest, well, at least one of the biggest controversies in trucking today, the AB5 rule. Lisa, thanks for joining us on Drilling Deep today. Thank you for having me. So, Lisa, I recently was in your state. I attended the IANA meeting, the Intermodal Association of North America, and there was a panel there uh, that discussed AB5. And uh, one of the the, the, the uh, moderator was Mark Blubau from the Benish Law Firm. He's the head of their transportation practice. Also on the panel was Chris Shimoda of the California Trucking Association, which, of course, brought the original lawsuit against the state that resulted in the injunction that held AB5 at bay for, I guess, what, about two and a half years. Um, also on the panel was, uh, was Matt Schrapp of the Harbor Trucking Association, which is the drayage industry down there. And a third individual whose name escapes me now, but he's with a trucking company that made themselves AB5 compliant almost immediately uh, by turning a lot of their drivers into employees. Uh, and, um, what really struck me about that uh, panel, Lisa, was that they discussed solutions to how to get AB5 compliant and the list was pretty short. One of them was to turn people into employees, as the one member of the panel had done. The other was the brokerage model in which you uh, in which you convert your trucking company into a 100% brokerage company and you broker out freight to independent owner-operators, some of whom might have been leased on to you previously. The third was the two-check solution. That is really your uh, your creation. You didn't check, not the whole two-check payment system that's been around for years, but you've got a, spe- a model specific to California. And really the fourth was to take your trucks and go elsewhere to skedaddle out of California, uh, which is, I'm sure, you know, getting a lot of attention, but probably isn't going to be that much done because companies do not like to leave the world's fifth biggest economy. There's just too much opportunity there. So let's talk about the two-check solution because that is something that Transforce came out with about three weeks after the Supreme Court decided not to review uh, AB, AB5. And uh, you came out with a press release. We did an interview. It's a fascinating strategy. So why don't you tell us about it? Thanks, John. Well, actually, um, we initiated strategy in 2019 when this all began. So we've been doing the two-check model from 2019 to current. And it's pretty simple. We have the independent contractor in the middle. They become Transforce's employee, which automatically satisfies the ABC test and the AB5 law. And they get a second check from the carrier for the rental of the utilization of their equipment. So they get a check from us and a check from them. And we've been doing it since 2019. We have hundreds of drivers and we have carriers, obviously, in the program as well. And it's been quite successful. So even though you, I, I said you announced it in July, maybe you announced it to me in July. <laughs> I heard about it. You're saying that since AB5 went into effect at the start of 2020, you've already had some carriers who've been taking advantage of this program? Yeah, so a lot of carriers decided they knew, being California, that the AB5 test and the injunction may be lifted. So they took a precaution and signed up through us when we initially 
said um, we were going to do this program. Initially, we only were targeting our existing workforce, our existing clients, and pitching it to them so to ensure they're being compliant with the law. And now it's just kind of gone like wildfire as well. So we're offering it to anybody who's utilizing independent contractors in the state of California. All right, now let's talk about your existing clients and what Transforce does. Uh, I, I tended to, at first to think of Transforce as an employment agency, but that's not really accurate because an employment agency just puts together potential employer with a potential employee. You have drivers who are actually Transforce employees. They get a W-2 statement from Transforce every year, and then you sort of, I don't, I don't know what the term I want to use, I want to say rent out, lease out, uh, supply these drivers to various trucking companies. Is that a fair description of what Transforce does? Absolutely. We're the largest in the United States. So we supply truck drivers. We supply them in various different ways. We have CDL schools. We own CDL schools. We have veterans. We have direct hires. We have TF1, and which is an online matching system for drivers and carriers for the carriers to hire direct. So we have very, and then we also obviously handle AB5. So yes, we all are all those things across the U.S. And so... In, in the past, when you had drivers like this, were they still able to be independent? Unless, so let, let's say you say, okay, um, you know, Mr. Jones, you're a Transforce employee. We give you a W-2 check every year. For the next three weeks, we want you to serve Company X. But after that, are they able to be an independent contractor and serve a different company and maybe get a 1090 from them? Correct. So it's all within our pool of clients, though. So typically, however, the state is actually operated is the independent contractors usually work for the same exact carrier all the time. So it's been really successful because the drivers can continue, they can work through us and continue to, their life is normal and the carrier as well without disruption of business from anybody and continue to work for that same carrier over and over. Now they can't, they do have the flexibility. If they want to move somewhere else, we'll put them through our pool and tell them the available options. I see. But ultimately, since they're your employee, they have to go with somebody who is a client of Transforce. Yes, yes, correct. And how many clients do you have? Let's say in California, do you, can you give us a number roughly? We have hundreds and hundreds of clients. All right. So there's, there's, going, to be, there's going to be plenty of options. Do you have clients in the drainage business? Because let's face it, it made a lot of sense for that panel on AB5 to be held at IANA. Because IANA is, they don't call it this, but it's effectively the drainage <laughs> convention, really. Yeah, and, yeah, it, and, and, and I think everybody... Everybody thinks AB5 is targeted at drainage because there's the there's the group that's likely to be unionized. I won't say likely to be unionized, but has the potential to be unionized. Yeah, so it is absolutely targeted to anyone who uses independent contractors in California. The drainage is going to be the most scrutinized. So we do have definitely we have clients in the drainage world because they're the most effective or the most visible in this realm of independent contractors. So yes, we do have clients that are using the two check system with in in drainage. Okay. And have, what have you heard from or had communication with the state? Your Transforce's primary person on the ground out there in the Golden State. I know that one of the complaints I've heard is that you know they try to get some sort of guidance from the state on what you can and can't do because the AB5 law is not particularly prescriptive. It doesn't say you can do this, 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 and this, but you can't do that, 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 and that. So uh, are you have you had what you feel to be successful communications with the state to get guidance from them? I would say I have a middle ground with the state. I have attended every single court case there is. I've reached out to talk to Governor Newsom and Lorena Gonzalez, who was the contributor to the AB5 codification code. So 
it's kind of middle ground. There is a state, the state is issuing webinars to help carriers get a little more clarification, not a lot, but it's kind of been black and white. You do those five options or you're not compliant and we're going to enforce it. Yeah, let's emphasize the not a lot, because when I was at IANA, uh, the first day of the conference, I think was Tuesday, and they held one of those webinars that day. I, I was not able to catch the first one, and they did the second one on the, the morning of my first day at IANA, and I made the choice to actually stay back in my hotel and listen to the webinar, and when it was over, I thought, well, those are two hours of my life I'm not getting back. <laughs> so, I mean, I found it, you know, and, and I mean, I don't want to say it wasn't helpful to me as a journalist writing about it. It wasn't. That's not their job. But I really thought that the stuff they were going over was so basic that by this time, anybody who was in the trucking sector who didn't know this about AB5 was just going to be hopelessly lost. I mean, do you, yeah. do you agree? Yeah. It, it, yeah. There's not a lot of clarity. And again, there's not a lot of options. Well, there's four. So it, it is very confusing for some carriers, but the state has made it known. I mean, they really want everybody to be an employee and potentially unionize and to comply by the, to abide by the ABC test, which you can't typically make it without those four options. Well, let me put you on the spot here. Of course, soon after AB5 went into effect with the state, there was a pretty big development. I, I certainly felt it was kind of huge, which is the deal at Universal Logistics to uh, agree to a union uh, of a lot of their workers out in the in the, in the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles uh, and uh, turn these people to employees after having been independent contractors and then also extend an offer of uh, W-2 employment to other drivers that maybe were not part of this deal. What was your reaction to that? That that's it, it does seem to be unambiguous. People who, employees who fell under that, they're good in terms of AB5, they're set. What was your reaction to, to that deal? Yeah, a little surprised that it was so quickly, but you know, Universal stated, we're just trying to get ahead of it and be done with it. We're gonna work with the unions and be compliant and go forward. Again, I was surprised for sure, but they're compliant now, and so they don't have to worry about it. So I understand their their side as well. I don't think there will be a lot of carriers volunteering for that option immediately, you know, as we're still going to go through challenges by CTA and OIDA is joining the group now as well. But I, I understand they just wanted it to be over with. Well, let's talk about that ongoing lawsuit. I mean, it's, it's the, the legal issues really, it's kind of hard for people to understand that the legal arguments that uh, that the California Trucking Association made and and tried to make on the issue of uh, interstate commerce never really got fully adjudicated in the courts. And it, this has to go through a trial. The only legal things that went before were not a trial. They were questions on the injunction. Uh, do you have, I want to ask you, do you think it's going to win or not? But is this in your planning at all? I mean, I, I would imagine that your tr- two-check solution might kind of get thrown off track if if there was to be, let's say, another injunction handed down by the district court. Yeah, you know, just like it happened in the first round where um, it's taken quite years for us to even get to the to Supreme Court, I think it'll follow suit. You know, it's really up to Judge Benitez to decide, you know, if he would put another injunction in or not. But I mean, I think in the last court case where I went through, he said he'd learned his lesson and during that court case. So we'll see. I, everything is pending. You know, they said it'll hopefully be heard by the end of the year or sometime first quarter next year. But regardless, right now, it is the law. So even if it's... I'm just sort of imagining the next three judge panel, if if Judge Benitez hands down an injunction, the next three judge panel to hear it on appeal saying, hey, buddy, didn't we tell you this already? Yeah, (laughs) I know. Or saying, you're right. I mean, it's just really going to depend because it'll go back to the Ninth Circuit. 
which the Ninth Circuit will vote against it again. And it'll just keep getting challenged in court. But, you know, the journey is still the journey. We don't know how it's going to end up, but obviously legal proceedings can take some quite some time. Right. And let's remember that the, the three-judge panel voted two to one last time on the injunction, which indicates, you know, basically you say one-third of the panel thought the argument in favor of the injunction was, was, was correct. And if it did, and if Judge Benitez did rule in favor of CTA and OIDA, and you do have the whole dormant commerce clause now issue, which you didn't have before, and that, that's where OIDA is bringing, uh, you could, you, the, the, the three-judge panel could be three totally different judges than we had the last time, correct? That's right. You literally just don't know. The only thing we do know, and including, you know, CTA and HTA still urges all carriers to become compliant. Seek attorneys, you know, become compliant either way, because currently, as of today, it's the law. And you just don't want to get, you know, all those penalties. I, I certainly would not advise any carrier just to wait. Okay, so when you're out there trying to sell your two-paycheck solution, where are the resistance points? Where are people telling you, no, I don't think I want to do that. I want to go with the brokerage model. I want to turn my employee, employee turn my independent owner-operators into employees, or, or maybe I'll just wait out the next legal action. What, what are you hearing in terms of resistance points to your program? Well, you know, truthfully, most of them want to do brokerages, but they don't they don't want to become a broker. They'll have to broker them out because they can't work for them directly. So that's one thing. We have a lot of people standing pat that are going to wait for and try to minimize their exposure and pray it doesn't hit them when they decide to, you know, enforce this. It just really, it's kind of a mixed bag. And then you have the carriers that just want to be compliant immediately because this can go back to 2020. So it's just a really mixed bag. I think a lot of people are scared, they're fearful of the fees, but they also think the the law will just suddenly change. And they're forgetting we've been going through this for the past few years. Now there's hope, you know, with the legislation and things, but the way the law stands, they they definitely need to reconsider and evaluate their companies. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, the brokerage solution, look, I'm not an attorney. I mean, it seems to me on its surface that if you don't completely convert yourself to a brokerage, um, that you're still maybe in conflict with the B prong of the ABC test, which is you're still primarily a trucking company and you're hiring independent owner operators to move freight, which is what the B prong is supposed to stop. Uh, do you see some of the legal issues with the with the, the brokerage model that me, the non-attorney, sees? I do. And Lorena Gonzalez made that very clear that she would go after brokerages next. The law doesn't state that brokerages are exempt from this. It's very great. It's under the assumption that eventually they'll, they have to qualify by the ABC test as well. So everybody would have to, um, you know, pass the ABC test in order to do business. So I definitely think they're at risk. It may not be now. It may be a temporary fix for the carriers to do that in the interim to, as they figure out what their business model will be. But it's not a long-term solution. And Newsom and Gonzalez made that pretty clear. Now, are you, do you feel, obviously you feel very confident in the legality of, of your plan. Um, have you gotten, gotten any sense from the state that it agrees with you? They mentioned the two-check. So it's a, an outdated method from, like, I think, 79 or so. But they do mention the two-check system as a, a viable option. So I would say there, the, immediately when they become Transforce employees, they're AB5 um, compliant no matter what. I, I mean, the key thing here is they're employees of somebody, not necessarily employee of a trucking company per se, but they're employees. And your your argument is that that's all the state cares about. That's correct. They want some. They want these drivers to be employees. 
Yeah, even though it would be interesting, I'm not going to ask you to comment on this. I'm just going to wax philosophical. It would be interesting to see, given your model, how a unionization drive might work. But we won't. I won't press you on that unless you want to add some comment on that. <laughs> yeah, so we're a different employer. We're not a motor carrier. I mean, uh, someone can try to unionize us for sure, but not the not the carrier included. But I, I still think, and I stand by that model, it, it's a good viable option for a motor carrier, as well as the brokerages. So ceasing business in California is a bit much, but um, those are the viable, the options they have is really the three. All right. And the employee, the, the drivers at, uh, the drivers at Transforce who are employees, what sort of benefits do they get that they wouldn't get as an independent owner operator? So they get every benefit. They get healthcare, they get dental, vision, they get PTO, they get vacation time, they get 401k with a match. So as I stated earlier that, you know, we have a 99% retention rate because of those benefits. They still continue to work at the same carrier they've always worked at, and they get an additional check for the rental of their equipment, which still makes them the business owner. So there's a misconception of, you know, they don't want to be employees and that because the creation of schedules and things like that, but they're they're pretty happy. They, they get kind of best of both worlds. Now, if their truck just reaches the end of its life, or let's say in particular, if they're in the drainage business, I guess as of uh, January or uh, uh, January 1st, they, they, they can't run a, a truck that's more than a 2018 model and they need to buy a new one. Do you get involved in the financing or help with that? Or is, is that on their own because they're going to lease that vehicle to the, uh, to the motor, ca- to the, yeah, to the, not to the motor carrier, but to the, uh, the customer, to the trucking company? Yeah, that's on their own. So they're, they're the owner of the equipment. So they would have to do whatever they typically were going to plan to do and to, be, and to begin with. Now they can always, turn over and become a regular company driver if they decide to let the truck go. But otherwise they would have to do what they were normally going to do. Yeah. And that, that's an interest. That's, that's a point that I think Matt Schrapp has made uh, repeatedly about their desire to not be a, a, a stand, a strict company driver that those jobs are out there all the time. Exactly. And if they're an independent owner operator and they wanted to do that, they could have done that and they have that's not done that. So that, that, that's a point that he makes a lot. Yeah, and it's the truth. They can certainly become, there's, we're in a driver shortage. They can get a job anywhere as an employee, but if they want to retain their equipment, it's either brokerage or this. And brokerages can be very expensive for the driver. You know, on average, what, 30000 extra a year because they're carrying their own insurance and the expense of getting a DOT and MC number, it's, it's quite expensive. Yeah. When do you expect the state to kind of move against a, a, a trucking company? Uh, I've got to think that some of the lawyers, working for, I'm not sure what, uh, well, I, actually, I do know what the, the division is, what, the Labor Enforcement Division of the state of California, is that the name of it? Um, I've I got to think that some of the attorneys there are just licking their chops over <laughs> bringing the first AB5 case against the trucking sector. When do you expect it? Uh, now, I mean, the state is encouraging people, if, if you're being misclassified, file a suit today. And, you know, obviously the attorneys are, are this is the, game to fame right now on that as well. So I heard that there's, you know, Teamsters and tons of unions hanging out at the ports as well trying to get, but I would say relatively soon. I certainly wouldn't sit on this because it just takes one driver to file one suit. They also asked on their last webinar, if we know, if any carrier knows a carrier that's operating a non-compliance to tell them, like to send an anonymous email and report those, report those motor carriers and they will go after them. Right, because that way you're undercutting your competition. You're hurting your competition. Right. So you can see where they, they might want to rat those people out. 
Yeah, so, that's, that's a tough position. I was a little shocked, but yeah, that's exactly what they're asking for us. To yeah, do. And, and you know, when, when they finally actually do this, these cases are going to set a body of law, which really will help everybody in knowing what to do and what not to do. Correct. And I'm sure the carriers are waiting for their per- first person to go into law and see what happens and litigate that case. But, you know, again, contact lawyers, do what you have to do, make sure you're compliant. Well, as a journalist who's been covering this since I got a phone call around 9.30 on the New Year's Eve uh, 2019 going into 2020 and said, hey, this court decision came down. Can you write about it tonight, New Year's <laughs> Eve, which I did. Uh, it's been great covering it. I, I can't wait for the next round. I was kind of disappointed at the Supreme Court not reviewing because I was hoping to go down and hear oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court, but that's not going to happen. So anyway, Lisa, when all this breaks and it's going to be a lot more, we hope to have you back here on Drilling Deep. Perfect. Thank you for having me. So Lisa Mitchell from Transforce, you have been watching or listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of shows that you can see on Freightways TV. You can also hear us on all the major podcast platforms. I've been your host for today, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>